Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we continue our series, The Triumph of the Lamb, again today, as we look in the book of Revelation, chapter 17, verses 1 to 6, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, The Judgment of the Great Prostitute. A number of years ago, I was making my first short-term missions trip to the nation of Romania. There were four of us, and we had landed in Budapest, Hungary. And on the next day, we'd be picked up by a van and driven through Hungary and into northern Romania. But that night, to celebrate what we thought would be a very fruitful visit, we decided to walk through the beautiful city of Budapest. And one of our company had made a reservation at a restaurant that overlooked the Danube, which flows through that city. It was early evening, and our map told us it was a bit of a hike, but but all of us were up to it. But unexpectedly, we found ourselves in a red light zone, and for the first and only time in my life, I was approached by a prostitute. It was an interesting experience, to say the least. I firmly told her I was not interested, and why not, she asked. I said, I'm a Christian man, and I'm happily married, and I have lovely children, and even if that weren't true, my answer would still be no. But then I looked into her eyes, and I saw that she was terrified and vulnerable. I saw her pimp eyeing her to see if she was doing her job propositioning foreigners. And suddenly, all the short skirt and the high heels and the painted face, all of that seemed to be a miserable facade for a young girl who seemed very human. I've never forgotten that encounter. The four of us hurried our way through the area and made our way to the restaurant, and we debriefed. One of the four had gotten into a quarrel with a pimp, and another told him that he should be glad to be alive. The pimp probably had a gun. But all of us began to reflect upon ruined lives and destroyed hopes and dreams and to reflect upon the amazing grace of our Lord and Savior who had spared us from from that which destroys a man's soul. I suppose that prostitutes come in very many different packages. Some are sex slaves, others enter the profession willingly. Some are young and some are old, trying desperately to hold on to their looks. Some are sold against their will and some, no doubt, are brazen. The book of Proverbs in chapters 5 warns an inexperienced and naive young man about the danger of what the text calls the forbidden woman. The passage says that the lips of this woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end, her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path of Sheol and that to give in to her charms will eventually mean that at the end of your life, you're going to groan. Revelation 17 introduces us to a prostitute. And like any prostitute, her task is to beguile, to persuade, to entice, and to seduce using any means at her disposal. Indeed, if you remember, the book of Revelation was written to seven churches. They were being seduced. For instance, when speaking to the church of Thyatira, Jesus says in chapter 2, verse 20, But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. But of course, you'll remember that it was not just Thyatira that is in danger of being seduced by the immoral culture of the wider Roman Empire. So also was Pergamum. Some in that church were also doing the very things that were done in Thyatira. 
Furthermore, they flirted with a number of false teachings, one in specific being the false teaching of the Nicolaitans. The church in Laodicea had become seduced by wealth and had become wretched, pitiable, spiritually poor, blind and naked. Those were Jesus' descriptions of them. And of course, as we've seen, those churches that refused to compromise were suffering brutal persecution. So, Revelation 17, verse 1 begins with the words, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters. Take just a moment. Go forward to Revelation 21, verse 9, and compare that verse. There it says, Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. So notice the similarity between those two passages. In each case, one of the angels who had the seven bowls invites John to come and see a phenomenon. The invitation in both verses begins with the words, Come, I will show you. And then what is shown is very different. The attractive prostitute has a short-lived attraction. She's a profane woman. The bride of the Lamb, on the other hand, is pure and undefiled and holy. In essence, Revelation wants us to think deeply about these two very contrasting images. Which woman do you want to be associated with? So I'm reading Revelation 17, 1 to 3. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. Now, at first, we, like John, might be startled by this horrifying image. You know, in context of what we've read in chapter 16, the last of the seven angels have now poured out the wrath of God onto the earth. And these seven bowls of God's wrath represent God's final judgment on the kingdom of the Antichrist and the kingdoms of this earth. The earth is now reeling, utterly destroyed, unable to rise again. And instead of staring at the ruin of the earth, John is invited to see a prostitute in judgment. So what can that mean? You know, the Old Testament frequently uses the image of prostitution to illustrate unfaithfulness to God. Some of you might know the drama behind the book of Hosea. You know, in that book, the prophet is told to marry a prostitute, and in no time, she proves herself unfaithful to him, even while he's been loving and faithful to her. But as we continue to read through Hosea, we find that the relationship between Hosea and his unfaithful wife is an apt illustration of the relationship between God and unfaithful Israel. Israel has gone after foreign gods and the values of the nations around them. That's what prostitution refers to in Hosea. But the book of Hosea is not the only Old Testament book to use the metaphor of prostitution. Speaking of Jerusalem, Isaiah 121 says, How the faithful city has become a whore. And Jeremiah 2 verse 20 says of Israel, On every high hill and under every green tree, you bow down like a whore. But it's not just Israel that is accused of prostitution. Isaiah 23 verse 17, speaking about the ancient city of Tyre, says that Tyre prostituted herself with all the kingdoms of the world. 
And Nahum chapter 3, verse 4, speaking about the wicked city of Nineveh, describes that city in this way. All for the countless whorings of the prostitute, graceful and deadly charms, who betrays nations with her whorings and people with her charms. You see, the image of prostitution when applied to nations and cities can refer to idolatry in which a civilization engages in intimacy with idols rather than in God their creator. But it can also refer to sacrificing righteousness for the sake of money and commercial gain. Nations sacrifice everything in order to become rich, and that also is called prostitution. In the book of Revelation, the great prostitute is the symbol of human civilization sacrificing everything for money and for power. And in the end of the age, this is what will become of human civilizations. Values, righteousness, striving after the good and rejecting the evil, all of this will be forgotten over against the goal of greed, of wealth, and of extending influence and power. Now, some Bible teachers argue that the reference to Babylon that we find here in Revelation 17 is a reference to the ancient city of Rome. But as we've seen in our study of Revelation, what happened to the early church is merely a prefiguring of the end. The mention of the fact that this prostitute is sitting on many waters is a key statement. Ancient Rome did have the Tiber River that flowed through it, but the city was not sitting on many waters. No, I think Rome is not in mind here. Now, ancient Babylon was built on a network of canals. Indeed, Jeremiah the prophet in Jeremiah 51 verse 13 calls Babylon the city that dwells by many waters. So what then is Revelation referring to? Does John anticipate a future resurrection of the ancient city of Babylon? As you might know, Babylon today is a city which is in ruins in the Iraqi desert. It was Saddam Hussein who had said that he would rebuild it, but that was not possible. See, I think Babylon refers to the final evil civilization that will dominate the earth. Babylon in the Bible is a symbol of all that's opposed to the purposes of God. And in the last days, Babylon will be the most seductive city the earth has ever seen. We teach the Bible. That's at the core of everything we do at Back to the Bible Canada. To do so most effectively, we strive to use every medium possible to share the gospel. In 2017, we introduced an online video program called Truth in Life Today. And that program has since grown and evolved to provide excellence in Bible teaching that connects relevant issues of faith, life, and culture. Now the big news. As of April 2018, Truth in Life Today will become a weekly television program airing on Joy TV every Friday evening and Sunday afternoon and accessible online on YouTube, among other online options already to be discovered at truthandlifetoday.ca. So this April, join myself, Dr. John Newfeld, and knowledgeable special guests on Truth in Life Today as we speak into issues like religious freedom, family, heaven and hell, abortion, and much more. For all the details you need, visit truthandlifetoday.ca or call us at 1-800-663-2425. The ancient city of Babylon is the oldest human city. It was the very first civilization that emerged from life after the Great Flood. 
The city was founded on a plain, says Genesis 11, in the land of Shinar. The development of technology allowed them to build a tower and to make a name for themselves with the hope that they would keep the human race united, never to be divided. Well, of course, they failed, but not because their plan was not solid. Rather, they failed because God himself intervened, confused their language, and dispersed human beings over the face of the earth. And after that, God prevented a super society from developing one that would envelop the earth. So in biblical terms, Babylon represents the city that would rule the earth, but has been prevented from fulfilling that dream. Now in time, the Babylonian empire would dominate the world of the ancient Near East. When the Babylonians invaded Judah, they succeeded in breaching the walls of Jerusalem, taking the Jewish people into captivity and burning the Jewish temple to the ground. We, of course, have the story of the book of Daniel from that very time. But for our purposes, Babylon became a symbol of that empire that utterly defeated the people of God. And so Revelation 17 shows us a picture of the final Babylon, a city that will unite the entire world and a city that will utterly defeat the people of God. In short, Babylon is the headquarters or the capital city of the Antichrist, the restraining force that hindered a super society from developing will be taken away, and in the last days, Babylon will rule the earth. Does that mean that a literal Babylon will be rebuilt? Well, I tend to think not. I tend to think the actual location of the city of the Antichrist is of no concern, only that it will accomplish what past versions of that city were never able to do. Babylon will rule not just an empire, but the world, and it will defeat the people of God. In the vision of Revelation 17, Babylon is portrayed as a prostitute. Look again at verse 2. The kings of the earth, we're told, have committed sexual immorality with her. The dwellers of the earth have become drunk with her wine. The idea is that the kings of the earth have done business with her. They've become rich by their trade with her. But in entering into a trading relationship with her, they have come to adopt her vices and her idolatries and her penchant for evil. In short, Babylon has seduced the world. Now to verse 3. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. Again, we've noticed that in the past that the seven heads and ten horns are those powerful nations of the earth that supported the beast that lent their power to the Antichrist. The fact that the woman is seated on a beast means that the city of Babylon sits on top of the Antichrist, and that means she sits on a place that is supported by the Antichrist. The city of Babylon would never have risen to such prominence were it not for the fact that it is the city of the Antichrist. But even though Revelation 13 identifies the beast with Antichrist still, Revelation 13 does not say the beast is red or scarlet. That may either mean in Revelation 17 that the beast is covered in blood, but I think more likely it simply means that the beast is associated with Satan. We also learn that the beast is covered with, or might I suggest, tattooed with blasphemous names. It's covered with offensive and sacrilegious names. See, I have no doubt this refers to the fact that the Antichrist has taken and used sacred biblical names for God 
and has applied them to himself. He calls himself Lord and God, and he demands the world worship him. He claims titles that are reserved for God alone. In essence, the beast is like the Roman emperors who used to call themselves Lord and God. Or we might even think further back to 175 BC when Antiochus, the Syrian commander who conquered Israel, called himself Epiphanes, which means, I am the manifestation of God. Daniel called him abomination that makes desolate. Now back to Revelation 17 and verse 4. There we read, the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. When the woman is described as she is, she has a certain beauty, but she's horribly brazen. The various colors that describe her are probably not symbolic of anything, most likely they simply describe a woman who is dressed in very expensive clothing. You know, in the ancient world, purple and scarlet clothing could only be afforded by the rich. And from this description, we get the idea that the woman has no lack of money. The golden cup in her hand, full of abominations, is a direct reference to Jeremiah 51 verse 7. And and that passage says, Babylon was a golden cup in the Lord's hand, making all the earth drunken. The nations drank of her wine, therefore the nations went mad. See, the idea here is that a golden cup looks beautiful and precious, but inside it's full of corruption. See, no doubt idolatry and every evil practice is what's in the cup. The woman Babylon has been inviting the nations to drink from her wine, and they're now drunk with evil. With a promise of wealth, she entices the world to abandon the worship of the one true God. Now to verse 5. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. See, I find it interesting that on a number of occasions, the book of Revelation mentions that there are names that are written on foreheads. Remember back in chapter 7, then also in chapter 9 and then 14, the saints are said to have the seal of God on their foreheads. And in chapter 13, the followers of the beast will have his number on their foreheads. And then in Revelation 22, verse 4, we read of the final reward of the saints, and there it says, they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. And so it would seem that a name on the forehead is a symbol of the ultimate identity of a person. Here, there is no hidden motive. This is truly who that person is. And so when the name written on this woman's forehead says, mother of prostitutes and of the earth's abominations, well, no truer description of her character could possibly be made. She in her time is the city that has given birth to that which is ultimately evil. Verse 6 then says, And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. Now, we're not surprised by this image. I mean, after all, we're told in chapter 13 that the Antichrist defeated the saints. We can only imagine that the capital city of Antichrist will be the very place where a great many believers will be martyred. You know, in his commentary on Revelation, George Eldon Ladd, tells of the persecution of Christians that had existed during the time of the Emperor Nero, the emperor who had both the apostles Peter and Paul put to death. Ladd quotes the historian Tacitus. 
Tacitus said a great crowd was convicted both of arson and of hatred of the human race. Not only were they put to death, but put to death with insult in that they were either dressed in the skins of beasts to perish by dogs or put on crosses or set on fire. And when daylight failed, they were burnt as lights for the night. See, we can only imagine the suffering of Christians during that horrible time. But this persecution only lasted for a short period of time. When Revelation was written, Domitian was then the emperor, and Christians were persecuted again. However, these persecutions were only of a minor sort. Today, we're seeing a systemic persecution of Christians all over the world. Whenever we see such a matter, we're reminded of the spirit of Babylon, which is still alive in the world today. The spirit of Babylon is a spirit which celebrates the slaughter of Christians. Because believers will not drink the cup from her hand and be seduced by her harlotry, she delights in butchering them. Let me return to the story of the prostitute that I met on the streets of Budapest. You know, I felt pity for her, for I saw a scared little girl being manipulated by by very mean-looking pimps who watched her like a hawk. But this prostitute, this, this city of the Antichrist, is nothing like that. She relishes in her adultery and seeks to influence others in her evil. The reason Christians resist her advances is because to share in her adultery is to share in her destruction. Dear Christian, reject the spirit of the age, for a drink of that cup is to share in the future of the damned. But we do not belong to the damned. We belong to the one who was raised from the dead, who is Lord and King. Our future is with Jesus, not with a whore of Babylon. John, so much revelation is about the future, but it also has very much relevance for us today, including this passage we've spoken about. Yeah, when we think about the future of the the demonic city of Babylon, we could only, you know, very easily just simply talk about the future, and that's kind of the safe way to go. But really, Revelation is written for us today. We're supposed to consider our ways. We're supposed to think about the, the drawing power of ungodly inclinations in the world, and we're, we're supposed to resist them, and we're supposed to call them what they are. So when the world tries to seduce us, we're supposed to think about the world as a prostitute. And we're supposed to say no because, you know, our very souls hang in the balance. So, you know, John is making a a huge case for us to live godly today. Thanks so much, John. Remember to join us again tomorrow for more of this series right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. years of Bible teaching ministry in Canada, that's what we're celebrating in 2018. And for that reason, we're launching a number of special events and activities throughout the year to celebrate God's faithfulness. We begin this month by airing a new series featuring both founder Theodore Epp and Bible teacher Dr. John Newfeld. It's a special series for a number of reasons. First, the consistency of messages from both men hold the same high standard of teaching you become confident in. And secondly, there's a wonderful solidarity of mission and passion for the scriptures, the legacy and vision for the future. As special gift to you, our friends and supporters, we want to offer this 60th anniversary five message series on CD as a free gift. All you need to do is contact us today and ask. 
And to receive more information or support the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.